Hey guys, friend of the show, Shady Rays, has an exciting new offer for all you Passing Dimes fans. For the next 30 days, you can get 40% off when you buy two or more pairs of sunglasses. Just click the link in our show notes or on our Instagram bio to shop these awesome deals. Use discount code TEAM to get the offer. Shady Rays, live hard, we got you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. This is a really special episode because not only is our guest top tier, but the co-creator, the co-host, he's back in the saddle, Dallas Keith making an appearance on the show. DK, good, you? It's good to see everybody again. Wonderful to be back on the platform. Uh, I can say that I came up with the namesake, but as many of you know, the uh, the grunt work and the whole uh, infrastructure was created by Josh, so I say... You know, congratulations on a wonderful job. You know, it's good to have you back. I can't wait for the, the spike in ratings to happen. I think that's what, like, return guests are known for, right? Yeah, we like to elevate the curve on the podcast. <laughs> Too soon, bro. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough about us. Let's get to today's guest. So you actually played with him at York U, so I can't wait for a couple stories. He played for Team Canada Indoor. He made the B team. Uh, he quickly switched and made the right decision to come to the beach team, where he played in over 21 events for Canada, winning three medals on the Norseca Tour, including winning Puerto Rico. So I can't wait to hear some Norseca stories. Please welcome to the show, Felipe Humana Perez. Yes, guy. Welcome to the show. Amazing. Thank you for having me, the both of you. Uh, amazing pronunciation. And it's uh, so nice to see both of your faces again. Yeah, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for making the time. So fill our listeners in because you were an Ontario guy through and through, but you started a new life in Vancouver. Apparently the weather's nicer there, but there had to be a better reason why you moved out there. No, that's pretty much the reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but uh, no, it's, it's been a, while, a long time coming. My uh, my partner, Jess, and I, we've been uh, uh, discussing it for a while and and it turns out that the company that I was working for in Toronto had uh, their headquarters out in Vancouver. Jess works from home uh, remotely 100% of the time. So it kind of, the window of opportunity was there. We both love BC every time we've been there. And so we just uh, uh, pulled the trigger and actually did a crazy road trip uh, through the States and went all the way down through like Texas and Arizona and, and up the West Coast and got here at like uh, middle of January. Awesome, and I, I did miss this in your intro, but I believe you played in the NBVL, which uh, super best friend of the show, Ben Saxon, started. So I'm, I imagine if we weren't on the stoppage we are right now, you'd, you'd be the big popular blocker at Kids Beach. Everybody would want to be your partner right now, I bet. I was definitely getting uh, a lot of invites, a lot of uh, partner <laughs> requests in the months leading up to it, and I'm pretty bummed that, that things are shut down. Hopefully, as BC opens up, we can get some tournaments in before the end of the summer, but uh, but yeah, KBVL was awesome. I met uh, uh, a lot of awesome people and re-met uh, a lot of BC BC guys that I hadn't talked to in a while. So props to Ben for, for creating it, keeping it going. And I'm actually really bummed that I'm not <laughs> a part of the kids' culture right now and it's kind of all, all shut down. So like I said before, hopefully we get uh, a reopening not too long from now. And had you How been the kids' culture is just being vegan and making fun of other people. <laughs> <laughs> only, only people from Ontario, Dallas. <laughs> Dallas yeah. goes yard with the first comment of the show. I love this. Yeah, this is good. I, I swing, I swing the bat. I didn't really miss you, but I missed us. 
<laughs> so accurate. So anyways, Felipe, people will recognize, you know, your famous last name, not only from what your sister is accomplishing right now, but man, I remember you used to come sit in the beach crew tent because your dad would take like two hours to leave the beach and you would just come and hang out with us after tournaments. So what was your experience kind of growing up? Uh, did you love volleyball your whole way up? Did you try some other sports? Like I know your dad is a, is a big basketball player too, that not a lot of people talk about, but obviously played that at a high level. So when you were growing up, was volleyball always the sport for you or did you get to try a few other things? Interestingly enough, I uh, kind of uh, shied away from volleyball at first. I, I, you know, I was obviously in it and part of it in the sense that I would, I'd be there at, at York University uh, women's volleyball games when my dad was coaching. I'd be around some some pro beach tournaments when he was coaching uh, Mark and John back in the day. But uh, with him uh, doing so much coaching and my sister, she played from like I don't know when she was ten or, or eleven. I kind of decided that, uh, you know, I'd let them handle all the volleyball in the family. And I kind of just did my own thing. And I really just focused on, on just friends, books, music. And, uh, I think I tried, I didn't try basketball. I tried a, a little bit of uh, soccer club soccer back in the day, but I was in a league with some, uh, Italian and Portuguese Toronto kids that absolutely destroyed me <laughs> every single practice. <laughs> every single game so i don't think i i don't think i even finished the season with that the the soccer uh, attempt eventually the Shermers kind of dragged me into into volleyball they brought me to try out for the pac-man 18u team that was my first year club 18u and uh yeah that was that was ellie coaching or was george coaching how did they have a hand in dragging you into like club volleyball because were they directly involved at that time yeah, yeah. So uh, Ellie was the the head coach of the team, and George was kind of helping out. Uh, came to a lot of practices and was pretty much the assistant coach. And Josh Shermer was the setter on the team. So there was a trifecta of Shermers uh, pulling me out to the practices and, and tournaments. And they didn't have any other medals, so I definitely got a lot of reps that season. And you got to work at Beach Blast too when you're older. So I'm sure you just have the best George impression, right? Oh no, I couldn't. <laughs> I I honestly no. When people give me their best George impressions, uh, I can I'm a very good raider. <laughs> in terms of uh, actually giving it out, I no, it's not that was not my forte. I'm really laughing at the fact that you described your experience into club volleyball by saying that they didn't have any middles around because that reminds me of how you got onto the indoor national team. <laughs> <laughs> That's fairly accurate. <laughs> because they didn't have any other medals around, so I'm just wondering, like, at what point were you just like, okay, sick? No, honestly, I can summarize my entire indoor and beach volleyball career in uh, doors kind of opened up for me, <laughs> and I just uh, either walked or was pushed through them. I'm definitely very fortunate with, with a lot of the, the, the chance happenings and, and paths that I took through club, university, uh, national team and uh, and beach partnerships. It's, it's kind of all, yeah, I've been, like I said, very fortunate with, with how things unfolded. So with your dad already being so involved in like the, the foundation of York Volleyball, was that the natural step for you to go there? Or do you have a good Wally story of how he recruited you and really, you know, locked the deal? Because with Ellie being your club coach, I imagine you must have got hundreds of offers to go to Humber. That's interesting. I don't remember uh, any explicit Humber offers. I think uh well first of all wally was the only coach to recruit me uh from from any university in ontario 
And it was never really, it wasn't really like him uh, trying to entice me. It was kind of like a, a done deal. <laughs> he was like, uh, it's like uh, understood that I'm going to be going to York and uh, my dad's a prof there and he's uh, uh, best friends with the coach Wally and I got uh, a scholarship lined up for me if I end up going. So it was really a matter of uh, there was no other option. <laughs> I, yeah. To be fair, that's how Wally approached all of his recruiting. <laughs> he just assumed you were coming. Yeah. <laughs> and if you didn't come, well, then you're you're in his bad books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He never forget. Never forgave. Never forgets. <laughs> never forgave. <laughs> yeah, I think Gary May can confirm that. Never forgives. Never forgives. <laughs> so one thing that I think you should get more credit for is just the culture change that happened with York and your leadership. Because I think pretty early on in your career, like I went to watch uh, Reed Hall's last game, and I think the bench was pretty sparse that big game because of the whole Vancouver Olympics and some guys had left, and there was this big brouhaha with the team. And by the end of your career, when, you know, I got to hold the clipboard, Dallas was there too, contributing, we were a final four team. So that was a kind of like a 180 culture change going from like, wow, here to honor Reed and what he's done in his career. And there's like seven teammates here to going to a final four with like Ray Zito and yourself and some other top players. What was that kind of transition like going to, you know, kind of the, the basement team to a top team in the league? Yeah, I mean... Again, this kind of speaks to what I said before about uh, opportunities opening up and, and being fortunate. Going into my first year, while he initially thought I was going to be a red shirt, but it uh, again ended up that we didn't have enough middles. <laughs> so I kind of got uh, the starting position and my learning curve just kind of went through the roof just by just through exposure alone. And you're pretty accurate that, yeah, that we were kind of a basement team. Uh, my first two years, I think we won three games my first year, four games my second year, two of them being RMC each year, and uh, maybe sneaking one out against uh, UT as, a, as another win. But it was definitely uh, an interesting process. I can, and when you, see, when you credit my leadership, I, you know, I thank you for that. I, I was never really the most vocal leader, but I like to think that I kind of led through example and just, you know, work ethic, nose to the grindstone, not trying to be a crazy partier, and uh, just, again, lead by example. But the fact that uh, Kareem, Kareem Khalil came in the same year as me, and we kind of went up together, he was uh, he was definitely uh, the vocal leadership to my lead by example compliment. And uh, I think together we pretty happy with where, where we ended up uh, in terms of year five. We beat... Queens, Western, and Mac for the first time in my career in that last year, beating Queens in the in the quarterfinals, making it to the final four. That was, uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, aside from from winning it all, it's probably the the next best way I could have finished off my my five years at York. So I'm going to institute the reason that I'm here is to pull out stories out of you. I want because I was also part of that team that won the quarterfinals at Queens. Of course. Um, I want to, I want everybody to get a picture of one character teammate Ed Lai and two uh, how late we were on that how what time that game finished at. Oh my gosh! Well, Ed, first of all, <laughs> as Dallas brought up, is probably like one of the characters from York volleyball. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dallas. Uh, a walk on, I believe. So my favorite part about this was he. Um, 
got cut and then what was it? I, someone either quit or left. I think it might have been Tom that had, was supposed to come back but didn't. So he got put back on the team, and the, the, the day he got put back on the team was our rookie party. So he just showed up to our rookie party, and he was like, oh, I'm on the team now. And everyone was like, okay, sweet. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Ed, Lai, Josh, uh, yeah, you would remember. He is, you know, libero. Maybe one of the biggest personalities on the team. I think he's a great guy. I, I think the biggest knock he ever got was somebody described him as he just looks the part. Like he's Asian, he's small, he's fast, but he didn't pass for us. We left you and Greg in to serve and Kareem is our right side would pass. So he's like, he passes the get off the bus test that he looks like it, but he didn't function as a service libero. That, yeah, Greg and I got some service refs. Uh, and honestly, we didn't do too bad, if I remember correctly. I remember. A lot of guys would try and uh, try so hard to get the ball to us that they'd almost be lollipop serves, and we just, you know, pass a decent two potential threes and, and go on with our with our back road lives. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, going back to the, that uh, quarterfinal Dallas, that was like, oh man, what was a crazy five setter? Uh, so much emotion going through our entire team from from bench to coach to to players to to the fans. This is in Queen's Gym. Never won a game there. <laughs> and wanting to finish off, not wanting to finish off my career, losing again in that barn. So it was uh, a long haul. I remember that. And it was, I don't know, 17, 15, 18, 16 in the fifth. And the celebration after Dallas, I remember there were a few shirts thrown, <laughs> a few, few shirts thrown in the air. I remember that, but I, I remember Ed coming in to serve on match point and I think generating the two or generating the one pass, passing the free ball, and then I oh, think yeah. we ran middle to win. But I remember that the girls also had a playoff game before us, which also went five. Mm-hmm. So I think we ended up finishing the match at something like midnight. Yeah, yeah. And then we had to drive from Kingston back to <laughs> Big budget York said, nope, take the bus, boys. Yeah. Quarterfinal? No. <laughs> You're driving back. It's but, probably uh, best with your team because I don't think like giving a free hotel stay with nothing to do the next day to like the, the characters. I won't say them by name, but like Dallas and friends, like I think that would have been that's a poor decision by the athletic director. So I think if, even if they had the budget, they made the right choice. There were some members on that team who knew how to have fun. <laughs> That's a great way to put it, Dallas. Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> so when you left York, did you have plans? Like, I know you're being modest and saying that these doors just kind of open up for you, but you did go to FTC late. So did you have goals of going to the national team? Like, did you try out for the national team that year, or did you kind of wait for the call being like, hey, we need some middles. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, that wasn't a just random chance call out of nowhere. I did uh, go to the, the tryouts that summer, and uh, – wasn't selected right off the bat to, to join the full-time training center in Gatineau. So I kind of just graduated, was uh, in Toronto, and kind of, I would admit, like a little um, lost, or at least without direction, with uh, with where my next steps were going to be, both for either volleyball or my, my career. So I was kind of uh, coaching a lot of uh, club ball and clinics to you know, supplement an actual income and just uh, doing that throughout the fall as I was figuring out what my next big steps were going to be. And then, yes, I did get the call from, uh, from Volleyball Canada saying, 
again, they needed some more bodies <laughs> at the full-time training center. And uh, to come over after Christmas break. And so I was like, sweet, volleyball's back on track. I'm back in the in the system and uh, joined the, the full-time training center in January of, uh, oh, I can't remember the exact year. It would have been 2014, I think. That sounds right. Yeah. And what do you remember about the tryout at Gatineau? Because it seems there, there's guys who have different experiences, right? Like if you're Eric Lepke, you're walking in, I think you're like you're pretty comfortable going there. And then there's, you know, I coached in the CCAA and there's guys going there like it's fantasy camp. So I imagine you, you weren't walking in like the big shooter, but I think you have to be a step above like this is fantasy camp, right? So how did you how did you manage the expectations with coaches with clipboards around and all the stats and the technical tactical that Glenn preaches versus just kind of playing loose and having a good time? Asking for autographs, bit hit it warm up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. It was uh, I'd say it was definitely more playing loose and having a good time. Uh, yeah, I didn't really expect much of myself to be honest, being there. And and you're pretty accurate with like the the range of uh, of talent from from like all the the tryouts attendees. So there was definitely a lot of guys who were like. CIS legends uh, who pretty much probably thought they had it in the bag, and a lot of other players who were, you know, looking for their their big break, who may have maybe slipped under the radar. I had a pretty good camp. I was, like you said, pretty pretty loose, pretty um, just having a good time and and uh, shooting the shit with uh, with everyone there and making new friends. And at the end, with like the, the exit interviews, when they mentioned that I didn't have a spot, uh, Glenn's question was why how come you never came up before throughout like university? And I think my honest answer was just like, I never thought I was uh, good enough. <laughs> like it was uh, worth, worth your time for me to show up and, and, and clog up the gym with another body. You just cut me. So I'm right, stupid. Prove <laughs> <laughs> me right. <laughs> uh, but it was, yeah, it was an awesome experience. Just like you're right with the coaches all around clipboards, um, like current national team players, uh, just, uh, hanging out because you know they live out there and have nothing better to do on their on their off days and seeing the upcoming talent. So it was a it was a sweet time overall. Did they have an exit meeting with everybody? Like Glenn meets with everybody before they go. And did you get like actual feedback or just like a question about like, hey, you're pretty good. How come we've never heard of you? Or did he give you things to to maybe that you could have worked on, whether it be strength and conditioning or I don't know skills, anything like that? Like how in depth did these meetings go? Yeah, to my if I remember correctly, it was everyone, everyone did get one and it wasn't super long, maybe like five to max 10 minutes. And yeah, just uh, minor feedback. If, if you did get the cut, but, uh, uh, what, where the gaps might be and what, uh, what could improve your chances if you decide to come out again next year. And yeah, but I'm, yeah, I'm impressed that and Glenn was there and, and the, all the coaches from the development team were there. So kudos to them for, having that conversation with oh man there must have been there must have been close to 100 people like honestly it was a packed gym with with like i think four courts set up it's a, a spectacle to behold for sure nice so when you get the call what were your first impressions just from like the housing and is there anywhere to eat and got no other than that freaking buffet that's like the best thing ever for the first two days but by day four you just <laughs> start to hate life oh man yeah no i think my excitement was uh was strong enough that i didn't kind of fall into the Gatineau grind until maybe a couple months in. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I uh, I 
was uh, contacted by Dane Pishti, and he was also heading out uh, in January, and we got an apartment together, just uh, this tiny little low-rise, uh, pretty 1970s style interior and exterior <laughs> apartment. Uh, we had like a 20-minute walk to the to the gym twice a day through like two feet of snow. <laughs> in in Gatineau's not very pedestrian friendly, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't have too many nice things to say about Gatineau, to be honest. See, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not the only one to run shots at regions in Canada here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, it does make Ottawa look like a really fun city. I'll give it that. And uh, we did have a tradition where Tuesdays we would not have morning practices, so the the group would go to Cora's nearby Cora's and have like massive brunches and demolish ourselves with uh, French toast and pancakes and then be absolutely awful for afternoon practice. <laughs> awesome. So when the B team tryout came along, obviously like you had been training under the system and, and gotten skills. So did this finally confirm that you were good or you just thought it was like another opening door? Or you're just like, I guess like if you're giving me the jacket, it fits like I'll go represent Canada. That's cool. I think that's <laughs> no, a good question. I think that may have been the peak of my confidence of my indoor volleyball game was uh, going into that tryouts and seeing the like really good players that I was up against. But I did have the confidence of, of training in the system and and being probably most in shape that I've, that I've been in my life for, for indoor volleyball at least. And I had a, a great tryout. Uh, the, the end interview came and... And Glenn just kind of started, it was hilarious. I walked into the room and, and Glenn just started talking about like, uh, okay, so we're going to be moving everyone to these uh, dorms at a nearby college and we're going to be practicing these days and these days. And I was kind of like taking back a little. He's like, oh yeah, you, uh, you're on the team. You're on the B team. <laughs> you had a great, uh, a great uh, training camp and uh, congratulations. And I was like, oh sweet, thanks man. And uh, that was that. Nice. And just so our, our listeners, they love a good name drop. So who was on the B team with you and who were some of the seniors around Gatineau that you got the, a chance to work with? Like in that era of, uh, I, I guess it was summer of 2014, I think, who were you around that you were kind of training against with? Like who was on the squad that year? Oh man. I remember, well, see, it's a, it's a little conflated because I, uh, no, I'm gonna have to think about this because <laughs> like I, I remember some of the young guys, but, uh, for, as for the, the kind of like, in betweeners, I think DeRocco would have been there. Jason DeRocco, I think Adam Simak was uh, was there. For the young guys, I know uh, Nick Del Bianco was uh, was on the team, and Brad Gunter. Who else? Casey Shouten. Oh man, <laughs> Dan Lewis uh, was still was still uh, hanging around, but he loved Casey because uh, he had like a rocket for a shoulder, like literally would not fatigue would destroy uh, serving balls, uh, hitting balls off the boxes in defense for two hours straight and still be cranking 100 kilometers plus. So now there's some characters on the team, but but I did, uh, yeah, I just threw my ankle like two weeks into training <laughs> into the summer with the B team. And I spent the rest of the entire summer just rehabbing. It was like a third degree sprain, refused to, to get better. It was Ah, brutal experience <laughs> overall. So that was from a, from a high of highs to, to a low of lows uh, on the B team. It was just uh, sitting on the sidelines doing 
stupid ankle exercises while everyone's practicing and, and going off to tournaments. So not the best, not the best summer in the end. Or Casey, I can only imagine Dan Lewis being like, "Hey, do, can you guys give me some reps after practice? Like, like you no, want the serving no. machine? No, no, I want your shoulder. Sorry. Like, to get on that box and serve some balls to me." <laughs> exactly. That's exactly how it went. Yeah, but no, Casey was a <laughs> Casey's a trooper. So, with you getting like the confirmation that you're legit, and maybe that was the peak of your indoor, did you consult with an agent? Like, were you also looking for pro deals at this time? Yeah, I had a. I did a, a hook up with an agent, and he was trying to find me some some contracts and i was actually pretty close to uh confirming one with a team in finland and like pretty north finland so i had a, a couple of skype calls with the coach and one thing he was like really specific about was uh, will you be able to handle a potential like 22 hours of darkness <laughs> in like in our town because they literally were at like that far north where where during the winter it was like ridiculous <laughs> and like he's like depression is actually common in in uh foreign players coming to play in our league because of the lack of sunlight and lack of uh <laughs> lack of daytime so he still he sold it well exactly yeah he was, yeah yeah that uh Come here whole- you'll be miserable <laughs> Are you sure you want to do this? That was the recruiting pitch. Why do you want to come here? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Can you handle this level of misery? But uh, it, it, the deal fell through mostly because of uh, the injury still wasn't 100% healed. And I that's uh, kind of how it went with any other team that, that had potential. So it uh, nothing really materialized for, for playing pro internationally. And that, again, was what I had in mind for my next step. And it just... Uh, uh, fell through the cracks, and I was back in Toronto, kind of uh, again aimless. <laughs> and, uh, back to coaching some club volleyball with uh, with some teams and, and uh, clinics and camps, until I decided that I guess beach volleyball was my future. Now, did you make that decision, or again because like you're always being recruited because you were the big middle? Did somebody say, "Hey, we need some more blockers," and this guy's pretty good? Like, could, were you invited to the beach, or you went on your own own energy to the tryout? I honestly, typical VC fashion. Anybody under six six is considered a defender, so he stood up to the measurement. <laughs> Are you a tall maple? Do you have the shirt to prove it? Yeah. No, no, I would have been way before the tall maple program. <laughs> what would, would the precursor to tall maples be? I don't know. Yeah, I just it was a combination of. I it's not like I had never played beach before. I had done a every summer. I would be playing uh, throughout university and. And loved it, and I, I honestly can't remember if I was uh, invited by one of the players or, or encouraged to come to tryouts, but uh, or if I just did it on my own volition. But it was it was kind of a, a logical next step in terms of where I was. I was in Toronto already, and I uh, had experience. I was healed up from my injury, but a lot of pro seasons had already started. So I kind of said, "Why not?" And, and went out and snagged a spot on the in the development program with the with the beach national team yeah just to confirm for our listeners it wasn't like you just tried beach like i believe you meddled at u21 nationals like you played growing up you were always like deep into competitions this wasn't this wasn't fantasy camp for felipe like oh his dad and sister are pretty cool so he can come too you, you were legit you could play i think you're missing out on the ova beach gold medal humana paredes and keith in Coburg, ontario oh i did miss that thank you where we won a tournament without even playing a final <laughs> 
a highlight on my volleyball resume. <laughs> uh, a an, an accolade very few people can have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a fun time. Who was who were we slated to play uh, in the finals? I think it was Coker Coleman, and they Coker were supposed Coleman. to go on a plane to. So the rationale behind, I remember that because the lead up to the semifinals players, because we played, who was it, Garrett and Reed, yeah, and on match point, the only, the only, the only, because it's Coburg, and it's like jumping on concrete. So anybody who's like six three is obviously getting pits. So after getting slammed a hundred times, because all I can do is hit cross. I think Felipe covered the one time that I was supposed to get slammed cross, and we transitioned out of it to win. Yeah, we were supposed to play Andrew and Lucas in the final, and after playing a full tournament, uh, Andrew comes up to me and he goes, "We're not playing the final because uh, if one of us gets hurt, we're leaving for Cyprus next week." And I'm like, that's, uh, "Okay, sure." And in hindsight, I'm like, that's, "That's bullshit. You don't want to lose going into your tournament." <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that version, Dallas. <laughs> Just stick with that. Yeah. So again, help me help me with the timeline here, because I think when you're entering the Beach National team was right around when Maverick Hatch had that pretty pretty gnarly injury that sidelined him. Is that what made you and Christian kind of hook up, or did you have a partner coming out of the development camp that you were planning to like travel and compete with? Yeah, no, I was uh, initially partnered with uh, Luka uh, Milosevic, and uh, we were partnering throughout the, the, the development program so probably for a few months we were training together and yeah our the grand plans were to to travel eventually um and first with Marcicas and and hopefully move on to bigger and better things but yeah that then uh i think a few months into training maverick uh did have this uh terrible hip injury i think that's what it was and was out of commission and christian redmond gave me a call asking if uh, i'd want to join him to uh to a tournament in Orsica in the Cayman Islands if I remember correctly and I I it was a bit of a tough decision actually um because I was like pretty tight with Luca we were having a good time uh growing our skills together and and uh he's a good friend as well and but I talked to a few people a few mentors and it was you know definitely the, the right decision to to take the next step with this Christian who's a by then, he was already like a legit veteran. He has so much experience on the world tour and would uh, definitely be able to bring me to the next level right away, kind of a fast track. Again, another fortunate, uh, terrible for, for Maverick. Uh, and honestly, like I, that's, I would never wish that upon anyone, but it did kind of benefit me in the sense that I was uh, able to uh, partner with Christian and, and take off from there. And what were some first impressions from that Narsika? Like, were you thinking like, all right, I'm a professional volleyball player. This is going to be this awesome tournament. And you get there and it's like a Coburg tournament with better banners. <laughs> it was interesting. Worst conditions. <laughs> <laughs> Less organized, but looks more professional. Honestly, harder stand. <laughs> <laughs> as far as Narsikas go, I, that was probably one of the better ones I could have gone to. Uh, Cayman Islands, they compared to a lot of the other Narcicas I've been to, they do it uh, a little better, and the the sand's a little better quality. The organization was was a little better than so. In terms of like what I was expecting and what I got, it was honestly even a little better than I was expecting from what I've heard of uh, like Narcica horror stories. And uh, I think we finished fifth in that in that first tournament, my first international beach volleyball tournament, losing to. 
uh, Mark Eric actually, and whichever partner he was playing with at the time. Do you have a Cayman horror, or not a Cayman horror story, an Arsika horror story that comes to mind of just, because you did get to play in a few, right? And obviously when, when you're meddling, I'm sure it comes off as a funny story, but we've had some doozies over the year, you know, with our show. So can you, can you contribute to how crazy Norsika can be? Can you talk about that really crazy place that you went to, um, North Bay? <laughs> <laughs> North Bay, wow. Middle of nowhere. <laughs> no. no. No, crazy Norsika stories. No, yeah, everyone who's been on the Norsika tour has them. And it's such a, it's such a, a community of, of players. Like, everyone who's gone through it together, like, has that connection and that, uh, uh, experience of, of of the Norseca tour. Uh, it's just a combination of so many <laughs> funny little mishaps, or like the courts not being set up. Maybe even an hour before the first game of the tournament is supposed to begin, or most ridiculous things being pulled out of the sand, like massive pieces of glass or or boulders and uh, terrible organizations. Dogs on the court. Never happened at one of my tournaments, but I've heard of those in Guatemala specifically. Man, a lot of uh, a lot of food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's honestly like a. It's like That's a exactly grind. what I would want you to say. <laughs> it's a grind that that uh, is almost like a, a rite of passage for for you going through that, and then and then the next step would be making it to the world tour with definitely better organization and facilities and, and accommodations. But, uh, yeah, I can't say I hated it. It was, it was a fun, a fun time in its own right. And how do you personally like to look at goal setting? Because I think the theme of the show right now is you're just the tall guy in the right place at the right time. But to set the record straight, you meddled on Narsikas three times. Uh, I was with you in Long Beach. We qualified for a Grand Slam. Like, you weren't accidentally falling into these great opportunities. Like, you were getting results and climbing the ladder, not only as a developing athlete, but you and Christian were getting results. So did you guys ever talk about goal setting? Or was it just kind of like, I'll show up, and if we win, we win. If not, you know, I'm, I'm here in North Bay with the shad flies, and we're going to have a good time, and uh, see how <laughs> Goes. No, good question. Uh, I think maybe at the beginning, when when Christian first called me up, it was definitely more so go with the flow and uh, just go to the tournaments that he was already planning to go to and doing the best we could, learning learning on the fly. I think after that season was over was when we kind of took a harder look at, at goal setting and and where we want to play on the world tour, what kind of results we want to get, national results. I think the year after that was when I was when we, I think at the end of that year was when Christian and I won Canadian Nationals, which was, uh, honestly, yeah, I value that maybe even more than, than the Narsika gold in the sense of, like, it's something that I always held on such a high pedestal myself growing up and playing beach volleyball in Canada and being able to say that I have a, a championship under under my belt is uh, is amazing. So that was, that was one of our goals that season, and when we accomplished that, it was a huge check mark for for the both of us i think i mean christian i feel like he's won a, a national no i think i, I got him his first national too I no so. i think he won with ben saxton he won one earlier okay okay scratch that <laughs> but i will say when he won with you uh we would go to lee side coaches meetings and he would joke that he's still the defending national champion like he ha- held that at a pretty high high clip too right and i i'm sorry i missed that in your intro but yeah you are a national champion that's right. Oh, COVID's costing you your intern, eh, Josh? You can't get these back. <laughs> 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 no, 
<laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if you can Google national championship results. It doesn't come up as fast as, you know, uh, a Norseka gold medal. Thanks for BBB Info for being the intern of the show lately. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you should also talk about Christian's calves. I don't know if that's ever been a topic of conversation, but if him and Phil Mickelson had a calf off, I don't know who'd win. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Mickelson. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, his his calf, I had calf envy my entire few seasons playing with Christian. I'll never be able to live up to those to those beauties. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if he though. I think he was still eclipsed by both uh, Mark and John's calves, just babies inserted into into human legs, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it is popular in beach volleyball, the theory of, like, let's put the vet with the younger person. Like, when Todd Rogers was on his way out, he just started picking up these big blockers. And I think we played with three in a row, and they got Brunner, Doherty, and I I think uh, another big that just didn't work out. But from your experience... Was that one of them as well? So I think there's four. I think he picked up a kid out of UCLA who just didn't work out. So that was awesome for him to keep his Red Bull sponsor and just play with these bigs. But to kind of go into details on that, like what was something that you could gain from Christian's experience, even if it's something as little as like how to travel or what to eat on the road? Like what did you really gain from that relationship uh, kind of off the court? Oh, man, so many things. That, that was like the, the huge benefit of playing with him was his his off the court knowledge and preparation and attention to to treating his body right so from his diet i think he was uh extremely conscious of everything that went into his body and his his stretching routines his he did uh yoga every single morning his mental game he had a very strict meditation policy when we were on tour so every day there would have to be at least one i think it was like a 20 minute session uh where he put it on his headphones and just uh, get into the right mindset and uh, i mean he was uh he was definitely like an, uh, an older player when we were playing together uh, a veteran so he would have to take care of his body if he was going to be playing at the at the top levels but uh he also didn't didn't really uh let me get away with too much shit in that <laughs> sense like he he had some standards for for the both of us and and it was nothing but beneficial for me to experience that firsthand the preparation and the the mindset that goes into having success on the world tour, it's uh, it's really what separates players with equal skill and who's gonna who's gonna win that those extra few points at the end of sets and the end of games. Christian, for me, and this is my own personal theory, it's like Christian is the nutritional equivalent of like a stock trader, where stock traders know like the stocks that are gonna be big, like you need to invest in this. I remember being like 17 or 18 or whatever and Christian being like, oh yeah, like I take ginseng every day for energy and, you know, I'll take chia seeds to make my stomach expand so I'm not as hungry. And it's like, <laughs> there's something brewing in there where he just knows like these natural pathic food organisms that are going to be like, oh, okay, this will reduce inflammation naturally. <laughs> so I will say, yeah, he probably probably tacked on a few extra years just from having that whatever inside understanding or you know nutrition witchcraft yeah one thing i'll add about uh christian's diet is whenever we did get a good win or a good result at a tournament he would have the the cheap meals to end all cheap meals (laughs) (laughs) i've never seen someone pack away so much terrible food in one meal as christian redmond after uh winning 
anything with me. <laughs> just when you nationals, we go to what's that local pub, Lion's Head, at the near the beach, or either Murphy's Stone Law or Lion's Lion. Head, Stone Lion. Is that the one? No, 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 Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law. Yeah, and then just packing away multiple main courses <laughs> of the most terrible pub food you can imagine, and then going back to his uh, his regular strict diet the day after. We probably stopped at Burger Priest on the way home, though, too. Oh, yeah. That would go to as well. <laughs> awesome. So was there ever a point in beach volleyball where you looked around and just looked at your network with, like, what you've accomplished playing with Christian, like – I still get like starstruck whenever John I'm around John and Mark, they, they tell stories. I'm all ears. But with you growing up with them, you're probably just like, Oh, those are, those are my dad's friends. And meanwhile, I'm just like, those guys, I stood in line at Madawaska to get a picture with them once. Those are like a Olympic bronze medalist. Right. So when you look through your journey at volleyball, is this kind of just the way it is? Or do you ever look around and be like, man, I was pretty lucky to experience all this stuff. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say it's a bit of both. I think it was, it was cool. Again, going into it all with Christian as he already had so many relationships with like some of the top players on the tour at the time. So, so like, you know, he would introduce me to, to Phil and, and Todd Rogers and like, it was, it wasn't a big deal and it wasn't, it was just kind of, you know, they're all kind of part of the same family when you're, when you're all on the same, on the tour for, for long enough. And so it kind of, uh, yeah, it, it normalized all the people that I was talking to and playing against, which is only a benefit. I mean, you can't really, be playing your best if you're you're starstruck by by who's across the net, and uh, but at the same time, I looking back on it, I'm, it's just I felt I feel so fortunate to have have gone through it and met the people that I met and played against the people that I played against. And some a lot of them are still doing crazy damage on the tour. It's uh it's really cool that 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 was a part of my life and I'll, I'll have that going forward. Did you ever catch yourself in a starstruck moment where you're just like, man, like you really respect who's across the net or worse, there was somebody who you just didn't expect and they were just tearing you up and you're like, I almost had him. I almost had him. I almost had him. It's the end of the game. You almost had him 13 times. Like, (laughs) (laughs) hello. (laughs) Present company excluded. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know. It was always, uh, I can't say, uh, during a game it was, it was, uh, if I was ever against like any big names in a game, it would it would be more so not starstruck, but yeah, like really trying to to push for that that extra inch or that extra touch to to uh, to yeah make a name for myself, I guess, and uh, put a dent in, in whatever they're doing. So uh, yeah, I don't think I ever had that that type of moment with uh, with whoever I was playing against. Now, it was great to hear all the prep that you and Christian would do and how serious he took it, because to play as long as he did at the level he did, obviously he had to, but anyone who ever has met you or Christian in person knows that you guys laugh a lot, you joke a lot. So how was the balance between like, okay, now it's time to turn it on and be serious versus like just hours and hours of movie quotes and making fun of each other? <laughs> yeah, Christian had a, had a good balance of that. I think honestly, like we would even take that onto the court and, and, and it's our warmups and the, the looser and more fun we were having before and during a game, the better our results would be uh, in general. Definitely saw his, his serious side come out a few times when we were playing pretty garbage, maybe against some 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 bad teams, and maybe sunk down to to some levels that we we definitely shouldn't have. And and he has that side for sure, <laughs> and uh, he has uh, a seriousness that kicks in for for both either him, for himself or for me and whoever he's playing with. So I try not to, to let that happen too much, but, but there is that, that switch that can be uh, flicked. 
and, and same line of questioning with your dad as well. Obviously, a high performance coach and a high performance player, but he kind of manages that that fun state where I, I'm sure Dallas can confirm with being at that beach club that it was super stacked. But one thing that stood out to your dad was one year I'm at, I'm at the OVA Grand Slam in North Bay and I'm there setting up and you guys are practicing while I'm setting up and I was like, Hernan, you guys don't play till later in the day. What are you doing? He's like, I wanted the other teams to arrive and see that we were here training before we were going to play them. Like just those little mental tricks that your dad was so good at. <laughs> Man, people don't realize how stacked that club was, and, and it just vanished into obscurity after, like, just, okay, that's it, we're done. I know. What, who, give, give me a refresher, Dallas. Who, who would have been? Uh, Holdma, Oneid, Keith, Nosbaum, O'Gorman, Sidgwick, yeah. Nick LeBlanc, uh, um, Richard McKay? Maybe. McKay, McKay? Shafter, Shafter was there. Like Maverick would come in every now and then, just as like a tune-up game. Like, and I, I mean, I don't even remember how we got into it because we would literally we wear shirts that said Hernan's Beach Club. Like it wasn't, (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't like we were high performance center of excellence or whatever the hell people are doing now. You know, it was like oh. Ben, listen, your friends just happen to be really good. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a fun microcosm of a uh, of a time. I think it only lasted maybe two summers. Max. I think so, and it's also the old, I think I saw your dad get the most upset I've ever seen your dad, and it was like for warm up, he would Jimmy rig these hockey sticks connected by a rope. People and I don't know if you remember this, but every time you'd fall or hit the rope, it would like it wasn't set up well, so it would concave and it would hit you oh. in the back of the knee, and it, like the back of your knee would just get full of bruises or cuts, and it would be the, like the worst feeling ever. I think he noticed people kept missing and hitting, missing and hitting. I think he stopped everyone and just like started screaming. <laughs> and I think at one point he was like, "If anybody doesn't jump over this stick, you're out." <laughs> <laughs> I remember You're those, done. I remember those. I, rem- I, re- I, re- I remember it exactly, and nobody missed forever <laughs> after that. Yeah, my dad has uh, maybe among the most patience that I've ever known in like another human being, but I've also been privy to a few of his uh, his angry episodes when uh, I think he gets most angry when people just uh, you can tell aren't giving their best or at least not. Uh, not putting in the effort or, or half-assing it, and uh, I think I was I was uh, on the receiving end of that once actually in a tournament in Cuba, uh, Norseka tournament, and Christian and I again Josh was a similar similar idea. He uh, encouraged us to get a practice in uh, the morning before uh, our first pool play game, and it was like must have been like high thirties. It was so humid not a cloud in the sky and i was just i wanted like a chill serve and receive and, and my dad kind of kept pushing us into some uh, harder drills and, and more and more more and more reps and and then i kind of just uh i didn't i wouldn't say i walked off on the practice but i kind of like gave that that body language that that i was done and uh he let me know that you know as long as he was our coach like that's not acceptable <laughs> and uh, i didn't forget that that moment uh anytime soon after that yeah that beach club and i'm just thinking like as dallas we were just listing names there i think for youth worlds for a while there was a streak between like dallas aaron grant grant. Grant. 
But on the girl side, like even after the club ended, like Tia was a part of the club when she was younger, Julie Longman, like Ali Woolley, like this club, it, it was this fun thing to be around like a couple nights a week at the beach, but it, it was actually high performance too at the same time. It was kind of a neat mix. Yeah, it was a talent factory for sure. Dallas, you still have the t-shirt? The, I, I do. I still have my Elite <laughs> Beach Club. Hernan's, I think it was Hernan's Elite Beach Club. Yeah. Elite, I remember Elite Beach always being a part of it. The name, I think, switched between first and second year, but Elite was it was in there. Um, I We need to... I need to find that somewhere along my treasure. Jake home. McNeil has that shirt. Jake McNeil was part of the club too. He must have been like 13 at the time. But yeah, this the legacy of this club. Yeah. I think I think if people want to stack that club up to anyone, that's probably the most successful beach club ever. <laughs> and we didn't even talk about Melissa, Victoria, like the that, that generation too that came through. So just keeps yeah. going. Nice. So as Christian chose to retire what went into your decision to play with cam because obviously you guys were friends off the court but i can remember just around the norseka circuit it seemed like we would always play mike and cam and it would be a, like a meaningful match usually in a semi like was it just a kind of a common sense thing where it's kind of like you're good i need a partner and you think i'm good you need a partner let's do this thing yeah i mean that, that's one of the i guess one of the, the intricacies it happens of again you're big you're <laughs> The door opened. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I think things kind of lined up. Um, I think Cam and Mike were were either on the on the verge of, of splitting up or, or had already. I, I can't remember the details, but but it uh, it kind of really worked out at the time that that Cam wanted to move to be kind of more of a full time defender, and and I was uh, looking for a partner. I think we were. Cam, I think, was coming off a couple of uh, minor injuries, and so I think it just, yeah, it was, it was a match that worked out for the both of us. When we we had we had been good friends, we are, are still definitely good friends, and and he played right side, I played left side. <laughs> <laughs> it all it all worked out smoothly. So when Christian decided to call it, I uh, it was a easy step to to partner up with Cam. Now, did your expectations change because you were leaving this partnership where you were, uh, let's just say lack of a term, you were playing with a vet, and I'm sure he kind of led the way and made some big decisions, where now you're on equal ground with your partner and you've gained a lot of valuable experience. So did you feel a a shift in how you wanted to behave and how you wanted to be a part of the team? That's a good question. Yeah, it definitely was a shift in that we both had some experience and and some knowledge, but but not as much as a a veteran might. So... It was uh, it was still kind of both of us um, learning as we went and and going through it together. I think it was more so uh, a shared responsibility for for a lot of things that that maybe Christian would have taken care of, whether it was like travel arrangements or 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 planning the season out. And it was uh, it was definitely a step up in terms of of me taking more responsibility for not only my my own prep and my own actions but for the team and and our goals and our our plans and our accommodations and everything so it was more yeah i'd say more ownership but uh at the same time cam cam more than held his own he he'd been on tour for years already and and he he's a i see he's a great partner to have he was really understanding of of uh 
of me and my needs. And I like to think that I was understanding of him and his needs. So we did, we did what we could with, uh, with the time that we had. All right. So you've been super modest this whole episode, but I got to get one technical tactical answer out of you. So I think people who've seen you play live, you're, you're obviously a dominant blocker, the way you press, the way you get into lanes. I was just wondering if you could share either the way you front players or how you time your press, just something for our younger listeners or coaches to steal about, like, what are you looking at the moment that it happens? Like, are you a good old fashioned ball setter, ball hitter, or what were some things that you picked up with? Uh, obviously, you know, you're, you're going to say something about your long arms and your jumping ability, but there had to be something going on in your brain that made you such a, a tactical, tactical blocker as well. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I think definitely when, when we got up to like, the level of, of playing on on tour at the FIB level, it was there was a lot of uh, scouting that went into games, and so we would watch game tape on on everyone that we were going to be playing, make a decision about who we were going to be serving, and then really dive into tendencies. Whether if they were served in the middle and kind of approached over the middle, chances are the hard swing was going to go across. Uh, or if we serve to the line and he's hitting near the antenna, really clamp down on his line swing. So a lot of a lot of it uh, in the second half of my career definitely came down to to good scouting, good game plan, and also being able to adjust on the fly if, if people were doing things differently than, than they did on tape. In terms of timing and vision, I think one one technique that I had that really worked well, and it's not uncommon, but but it's definitely I re- I highly recommend it, is kind of hiding out of sight when you're loading for for the jump uh, in your blocking. So as uh, as the hitters are kind of coming in for for their their last big uh, last few steps and really loading up for their jump, that's kind of my loading phase in my block. And I I would always get really really low and and kind of stay down there for a second. And so when they take their peak, I'm not even in their field of vision. Uh, so I'm either taking that step when I'm already down low, whether I'm going to be diving to the cross or not. And the the goal was to be in their face as late as possible. So they had as little time as possible to, to react to the hands because I've been burned many, many times in my career by by going up early, showing my block early, and then just it's so obvious that's, that's where I'm going to be. So I think the top two things that I would say you can take away from that would be the, the, the scouting, the prep, and, and just an element of surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah. I think you and Christian blew my mind on some tactical stuff. I still remember being in a meeting room in North Bay and where we're prepping for our next match. And your dad was kind of getting on you guys about, you know, serving muffins. And you and Christian mentioned that when you're setting up plays, you actually like them to be in system. And that's when I kind of knew our defense was buzzing, where we weren't just serving bombs, trying to get them off the net, that it was okay to keep them in system because we were going to run the X play or there was going to be some sort of dive where I thought like that, that's showing a lot of confidence in our block defense, where it's just kind of like just, just Christian put it in play and get them by the stick or wherever we wanted to place them but then you were obviously just going to be big and be aggressive on them right exactly yeah that's you hit the nail on the head that's when you know your your defense is humming when not when you don't feel a huge need for serving pressure and honestly sometimes good serving might give the other team an advantage by throwing them out of system and then uh throwing off our our block d with whatever craziness they're 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 bringing across the net (laughs) You heard it here first. Good serving is bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna, yeah, I'd, I'd say I push it a step further and say if you're gonna serve tough, you better get an ace 
Dallas's club team next year is going to be serving underhand. Just saying, like, that's what Felipe said. Just put it in. We're going to get a big block. <laughs> I think that's an appropriate way to end. If you guys serve, serve for <laughs> Good night, everybody. Anything you can take away from this. <laughs> serve bombs or serve easy. No in between. <laughs> Awesome. Well, if we are going to close it up, we got to do the funny story where, you know, you've played at the highest level. You got to play for Canada, both indoor and beach, but you, you shared some funny stories already, but I was wondering if there's one you could close us out with where you just, again, shows you're at the highest level, but volleyball players, we just find ourselves in stupid situations sometimes. Let's see. There's one <laughs> funny story that, uh, when Cam and I were playing our, this would have been our last season in, uh, in China in Jaimen, I believe that's how you pronounce it. We were we beat actually a really good Russian team in the first round of qualifiers, and then lost to uh, a Swiss team in the second round. So we were we were out on day one and spent the rest of our time there practicing, finding some other eliminated teams to practice against. And so we were using a practice court on day three, I think, uh, against the really good Cuban team, uh, Sergio and Navaldo. And Cam and I were having a pretty good game. I was I was stuffing both of them pretty hard. And and if you know the Cubans, they're like big swingers. So any block that I get looks ten times better uh, <laughs> against them. <laughs> and uh, Carrie Walsh and uh, who is she playing with? She was with Sweat or I think Sweat for this for this tournament. I don't remember who her partner was, but uh, Carrie Walsh was playing uh, on center courts, and she needed the practice court, and so she kind of politely. Buddha's, Buddha's off. <laughs> we big <laughs> league do <laughs> precedence, uh, preference. And so, um, but as we were coming off the court, she she turned to me and and said, "Hey, uh, you're actually pretty good." <laughs> that she didn't know I was playing in the tournament, and that I was like just there for my sister. My sister was playing also. <laughs> And so she was like handing me a compliment, and I honestly didn't know how to react to that. I was like, "Thank you." So, do you play? <laughs> Think about this. And uh, it was, and I then I kind of exchanged a look with her, with her partner, kind of like, "What was, what was that about?" But I was actually uh, kind of stepping in as a as a interim coach for my sister and Sarah and they ended up winning that tournament and I was kind of taking them through warm-ups before every game and uh, they were bouncing uh, uh, strategy off of me and uh, so I take I definitely take part credit for, for their gold medal at, the, at that one over there and the world championship right always yeah any any win that they get I'm taking at least 5% <laughs> <laughs> she's really short changing it now eh I mean, she's getting a lot of wins, so <laughs> I'll take what I can get. <laughs> well, this is awesome to catch up with you, man. I know you've moved on to bigger and better things. You, got, you finally got a real job. Good for you. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, get a real job, bud. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm growing up on the bigger, better things, but I'm still... Crossing my fingers, waiting for for Kids Beach to open up again, and and really dive into to the beach culture here on the West Coast. Have you played a Cliver? You've been to Van Open a couple times, and I think uh, 
Center of Gravity. Have you played in that one as well? Yeah, Van Open and Center of Gravity only once, uh, both of them with Christian, and I came second at both. But no climber. Christian played a climber, told me how insane it was, and I wanted no part to do of that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to play 14 matches in a day? <laughs> it just doesn't appeal to me. <laughs> but but now that I'm here, now that I'm here, and now that I want to to assimilate, I'm going to have to probably play in at least one climber. Shoot, you know what I forgot to ask you, and I, and I had this in my notes when I wrote it down. I forgot your first FIB event was with Grant O'Gorman. Confirm or deny? Confirm. Whoa. Yeah. That was a, what, 2011, I think, in uh, Quebec City. Did you have to play a country quota to get into the tournament to play that one? We did. We beat a uh, uh, Quebec team. And oh, they didn't give you your tall, you're good, you can go in? <laughs> no, not for that one. I, that was, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't happy about that. No, but that... That was, oh man, Aaron, he, Grant was supposed to play with Aaron, but Aaron, I think, was injured or had to drop out, and then, so Grant called me up and said, do you want to play this FIB tournament at all if you want to play? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, I'm going to the world tour. You want to come? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, we lost in qualifiers to uh, Juan Virgen from, uh, Virgen from Mexico, and he was playing with the Silver Fox at the time. I can't remember his name, but that was his nickname, the Silver Fox. We took them to three, but uh, that was as far as we got in that one. Did you and Grant practice before this? Or the Quebec uh, country quota was the practice? We must have had like a week max before, <laughs> before this tournament, but uh, it was a good time. I love Grant. He's out here. We, uh, we had a dinner not too long ago, so I'll see him as often as I can. Yeah, we got to get that guy on the show. I'm sure he's got some stories. For sure. I haven't talked to him forever. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Dallas, good to see you, bud. Good to see you guys, too. I'm happy that we could reconnect. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for inviting us.